there's a conversation that happens fairly regularly in my house. Usually it's on a Thursday night around dinner. Julie will look up and say, so uh, what's your sermon about this Sunday? And I will say in a very sickening and sweet syrupy voice, it's about Jesus. <laughs> and she'll say under her breath, but loud enough for me to hear, I don't, I don't know why I bother talking to you. <clears throat> you. You probably want to say a prayer for Julie. But, but honestly, this week, she didn't ask me the question. I was ready, though, because this week truly it is about Jesus. And in fact, if, if I really am being even more honest, the way I see the world, the way I see the church, the way I understand scripture and theology, even my own ministry, is literally through the lens of Jesus' teaching and his life, his death, resurrection. That's how I understand everything. When I, when I approach scripture, when I approach my pastoral work, when, I, when I'm, I'm thinking about the, the next day in the life of the church, it's through the eyes of Jesus that I, I want to understand things. And today, I think uh, the Gospel of John especially wants us to consider who Jesus is and how Jesus is as we look at ourselves. This is a beautiful text, a, an amazing story, a story that is told of the abundance of God when what we see often is scarcity. Instead, if we open our eyes, maybe more than that, if we open our hearts, we'll discover that God's abundance is already around us. You see, what the disciples were experiencing was confusion. What the disciples were experiencing was, was anxiety, worry, and more than any of that, fear. They're afraid. They can't see the way Jesus sees. In fact, I hope you heard it as Kate read. Jesus asks a question to Philip um, about how are we going to feed all these folks? And then the text says he asked this as a way of testing him, which always... Every time I encounter this story, it always kind of feels unfair. Come on, come on, Jesus, you've got all this vast amount of knowledge and you're putting us on the spot, but still, it's a strong lesson. Philip can't see. He's blinded by fear. He's blinded by anxiety and, and worry. And so I'm wondering this morning if we can't allow that to be the way we get into this text, the way we understand this word for this day. I wonder if we can begin at our own confusion worry, anxiety, our fear even, and bring those, as it were, to the very presence of God, to, to bring them in, up to this space as a way of saying, God, I, here's who I am. This is my life. Now what? What is next? See, what I'm really asking us to do today is to come as ourselves. Maybe if you're wearing a tie, maybe you want to loosen the tie a little bit. Maybe if your shoes are a little tight, we'll kick them off. Maybe, maybe it just needs to be a metaphorical loosening. But what I want us to come to this morning is the presence of God, not with this glittering image that we work so hard to manufacture and maintain, not with this perfect life that we want to be sure no one ever sees beyond to see the, the brokenness and the sadness and the worry and the fear. No, just... Just bring your most vulnerable self, even if it's only just right in the space where you are, and allow whatever God's Spirit is ready to do to work something miraculous in your life even now. It's so easy to pretend. It's so easy to put on a good face. What if, what if you came just as you are? There's another old gospel song that I want Arthur to come back and sing for us someday, Just As I Am. It's a simple invitation to come just as you are, believing, trusting, and hoping beyond hope, even with our doubts and our fears and worries that somehow 
God can transform your life and mine. You see, so the idea for this sermon really comes from the confusion and the anxiety that Jesus finds in, in Andrew and, and in Peter in their inability to see that they have the answer right before them. The one that they will later call the Christ, the Messiah, the one. Jesus wants his disciples and, and by us, and by extension us, to see that in God there is enough. Enough for our spirits, enough for our souls, enough for our bodies, enough for us to take on whatever the world throws at us. Because, you see, the problem is, the problem is we retreat into confusion, we retreat into anxiety and to fear and worry because sometimes our fear commands us and directs us and it's fear that causes us to see. And I think this is especially true in the United States of America in this unbelievably abundant land. Fear causes us to see the world, to see ourselves through the lens of scarcity. Jesus is inviting us in this story. The Gospel of John wants us to consider in this tale what would happen is if we could open our eyes and see the abundance that's already right around us. See the beauty and the joy and the gifts that God has already blessed us with. Philip sees no way out. But instead, Jesus takes us to a new way, a way of life, a way of hope. And so there are some questions this morning. Are you willing to come as you are? Even despite whatever doubts you might bring, bring them. Fears and anxieties, are you willing to just come as your vulnerable self to present yourself to God and God's ways in the world and consider those as a new way of life. The, the question that most often haunts me, I'll, I'll, I'll confess, is one that comes usually in the middle of the night, 3 a.m. or so. Are you going to live the life that you preach? Can you walk that way? Can you do that? Several Sundays ago, there was a man waiting for me at the front door of our sanctuary here. Service was over, music was concluded, the postlude was over. Shaking many hands on the way out. I was working my way back into the sanctuary. I was going to go on over to Brownlee Hall, find a cup of coffee, and say hello to the folks who had gone out that way. And this man stopped me, though. It was quite clear he wanted to talk to me. And kind of was one of these conversations where he leaned in and he put his finger on my chest and he said, you don't believe in God. Well, he had my attention. <laughs> I said, um, uh, why do you say that? I, I don't believe we've met before. My name's Glenn. He said, well, a week ago, I saw your sermon on TV, and you confirmed it in your sermon today. You don't believe in God. If you don't believe that the word of, of, of God is literally true in every full sense that God actually dictated it to man, of course, it would be dictated that way, then you are not one who believes in God, and you are open for punishment. And I, I said, you know, perhaps there's some ways to consider this that you'd like to see. And my understanding of faith is not based on this literal understanding of the Bible, rather that God is in a relationship with us and it's an evolving and emerging one that is constantly being played out between the creator and between creation and, and between us. And in Jesus Christ, we see an invitation to a radical new way of life. And he just shook his head the whole time and just pointed back at me again and said, you don't believe in God. And he walked away. 3 a.m., I woke up thinking about that conversation. And the first thing I did was, boy, I should have said this, and if I'd have said that, oh, this really would have won the argument. I, I swear, it was like the voice of God said, no. No. Do you? Do you believe in God? I sat straight up in bed. I went into the living room, sat down for a moment. Here's what I preach, here's what I say. Do you practice it? Do you live it? I realized in that moment, 
my fear of the future, my worry and anxiety about all the things in this church and our congregation and my life, my personal life, my family life, all the rest was consuming me and I had gotten caught up in the sin of busyness. Busyness for this, busy with that. Busyness is what results when we're afraid. I was making lists, reading books, doing all that kind of work that we're supposed to do and failing to follow Jesus. Failing to give my life over to the one that has called me. It's so easy to get caught up in fear and scarcity and worry and anxiety when right before us are the very gifts that God has given not just to us but to the world. Can we find the courage we need to live in that way? You see what I was doing was I was, I was giving up my own faith for a mediocre version of it. John Ortberg says that's what happens to too many of us. Listen to his words. For most of us, the danger is not we will renounce our faith. It is that we will become so distracted and rushed and preoccupied that we will settle for a mediocre version of it. That's exactly what was happening to me. I was becoming happy with mediocre, with a shrug and whatever. And my lack of faith was pushing me into a simplistic little corner. Now, the guy's, the guy's intent at the door was inappropriate. But God, as God so often does, worked through something to bring a new light. I finally realized this was true in the last couple of weeks. I, I'm in the, I'm in the, it takes me a while to figure out the, these things. Julie and I went on vacation, spent 12 days off. Thank you very much, by the way. This congregation has a very generous vacation policy for our clergy, for our professional staff, for our support staff, for all the folks who, who work here. And the opportunity to get away and for a time of rest and renewal really is a, a wonderful joy. Well, we spent the first four days of, of our 12 days off up, up in Door County, Wisconsin. Anybody ever been to Door County, Wisconsin? So raise your hand. Some of you have been up there. Unbelievably beautiful. This little peninsula that juts into Lake Michigan. I did a wedding there for Sam, our friends Sam and Olivia. Olivia I've known since she was a nine-year-old girl. It's a beautiful wedding. It was an amazing experience. I got stories about that for for another time. We got on the plane on Sunday afternoon in Green Bay and flew back to Columbus and Julie opened her phone and there was a message from MedVet that our dog Zeke, who was at the borders, had been taken in and he'd developed pneumonia and you needed to come see him. Well, we, we just couldn't, couldn't believe this had happened. See, the next day we were going to do laundry and clean up and pack up and we were taking a road trip to Niagara Falls and then on up to Toronto for a week off up, up there and we're looking forward to a, a, some chance to get away. but. Here's a poor dog, Zeke. We, we couldn't leave him at the borders in that kind of condition. And so we, we went to MedVet. We picked him up. By the way, I forgot to say this at, at the 9 o'clock service. He's doing great, just so you know. <laughs> at the 9 o'clock service, all these people came up to me afterwards and said, the sermon was fine, but how's your dog? <laughs> he's, doing, he's doing great. But it meant we had to kind of change our plans. And so what we did was we had a staycation and we went to the Columbus Museum for the first time, loved it so much we became members of, of the Columbus Museum of Art and we ate at some new restaurants and we spent some time working out and we spent some time doing what Julie likes to call just being, just breathing deeply. In fact, one night we stayed up and watched a movie we'd been wanting to see for a long time. Went to bed a little bit late, not too late. And then we slept the next day, the latest I've slept since I was in college. We slept till 9.30 in the morning. Can you believe that? It's embarrassing to say that out loud. I woke up, probably would have slept later, except our other dog, Layla, who's a black lab, she came over and her nose was right here in my face. And she said to me, which is dog speak for, you better get up because we got to get outside right now, could you please? 
So I got them up, I took the dogs on a little walk, and, I, and it dawned on me. It's the first long, sound night of sleep I've had in months. Now, I'm not trying to whine. I'm not trying to complain. I just want you to, to, to hear me say as clearly as I can. I was getting caught up in fear so much so that I couldn't sleep. What a silly and foolish way to live. God invites us not to live in scarcity, but in abundance. Like Philip and Andrew, I sometimes think I've got to figure it all out on my own first. Busyness is rooted in fear. And fear will destroy every single time. I read a few book, a, few, a book a few years ago titled Under the Banner of Heaven by John Krakauer. Have you read this book? It's a marvelous book. It's a tough one to read. It's a story of a couple of murders that take place in Mormon country out in the, in the West. He's very fair in the way he reports it, and very, very fair in the way he analyzes the situation. Towards the end, Krakauer, by the way, you need to know, is not a person of faith. I'm never, I've never heard him describe himself as an atheist, but he's not somebody who is religious at all. But toward the end, he says, what I discovered in the research for this story was the simple truth that we all ache for the love of our Creator. We ache for the love of another. That's the heart of the story today, that we, we ache for the love of our Creator. We ache for the love of, of, of another. I've said this so many times in sermons. I, I, I'm starting to finally believe it in self, or myself. What we really want at the end of the day, honestly, is another heart to love, another hand to hold. My friends, this is what the church is called to do. We're, we're called to come into this place and invite God's Spirit here among us to, to wrestle with things like sin and death and life and love and faith and hope and doubt and, and all the rest. We're, we're called to, to find ourselves connected to the God of, of all that is. And if we need to, to wrestle with that God as Jacob did in the Old Testament, to wrestle with that God all night long, maybe even if we get injured. You, do you remember the story? Jacob wrestles all out through the night with God. At the end of the, at the, end of the wrestling match, his hip is injured. It's out, of, it's out of joint or it's broken or something. And he spends the rest of his life walking with the limp, but it's a holy limp. Because every time he drags that bag leg, every time he drags it to the next thing and to the next, it's a reminder that he encountered God and survived and discovered God's love is real. That's what we're called to do in this church, is to bring that same sense of, of, of courage to wrestle with the deeper things, the holier things, the sacred things in a way that transforms us and our community. You know, there's a lot of worry in churches, especially in the United States. There's quite a bit of worry about church decline, decline in attendance, decline in giving, that, that sort of thing. I've been wondering about this a lot. I, I really have been. I've been spending a lot of time researching, studying, and I, I begin, to, begin to think, what would happen? What would happen if we'd stop worrying and start living? What would happen if we'd start pointing and looking at charts and things and instead saying to ourselves, how can we invite God into our presence? What can we do in this place that matters in a way that brings abundance and hope and life to our church, to our neighbors, to the community and the world? Will Willimon is a, a great preacher. He used to be the chaplain at Duke. He's a retired Methodist bishop now. He's invited to speak at graduation ceremonies quite a bit. This last spring, he was invited at another one, but rather than go in with all of his wisdom from all of his years of experience, he went in early, a week or so early, to the school, gathered a group of the graduates, some of the ones who would be graduating, and said, what should I preach on? What do you want to hear? 
this one young graduate went up to him and said, you know what? Old guys like you like to come in and force advice on us. We hear about politics and economics and psychological and sociological reasons for this, that, and the other thing. You're a preacher. Come talk to us about God. Do you, this, these are his words. Do you have the guts to talk to us about God? He said, I'm not even sure I believe in God, and frankly, it scares me to death. And he used an expletive in the middle of that. It scares me to death. But do you have the guts to come in here and proclaim the God that you say you believe? Willimon said, yeah, you're right. Maybe that's what the church needs to find is the courage to wrestle with all this. Your doubts, your questions, your fears, everything, bring it all. Not just to profess belief, but to actually follow in the footsteps of the one we name Lord. I'm thinking this morning about a time when I was in seminary. Middle of my first year in school, I was hired to be the student assistant to the dean. Sounds academic, trust me, it was not. My primary role was to help new students find housing and jobs. The school was located in Upper East Tennessee, and, but we had a national reputation. There were students who came from all over the United States, especially from the West Coast. There's sort of a West Coast pipeline. And so these folks who were coming from, from so far away needed connections for housing, for employment, and so forth. And that was my primary job. And I'm remembering especially Denny. Denny and his wife sold everything. Packed their two kids, already had two kids, four and five years old, in the back of their small car, all of their clothes, a ton of books, and nothing else. And they showed up in Tennessee. Well, I was really worried about them, but I'd found them a house, and through some connections at the school, we'd found a little church about an hour away from the school that needed a student pastor. They didn't pay very much, but they had a house. They knew the house would be more than enough for them. Then he was thrilled to be a pastor, thrilled to be preaching on Sundays, and so glad that he'd have a house where his wife and kids could, could live, good school nearby, all of the rest. Seemed like a perfect, perfect setup. And then in November, driving back home from school on a wet Thursday night, a truck coming the opposite direction slid over the center lane, hit Denny head on, shattered both of his legs. He was in a wheelchair. The doctor said, I, you really got a slow way back. You need to drop out of school or quit your job, one of the two. He dropped out of school with the permission of the dean to come back when he had recovered. But still, they had no, no way of surviving, no way of, of getting through. Didn't know how, he was, didn't know how he was going to preach. But this church, they didn't have a lot of money, but they had a lot of gifts. Filled with farmers and folks like that, they built a ramp. Up to, the, up to the chancel. He couldn't get into the pulpit, but they built a ramp up so that he could wheel his wheelchair up right there on the center of the chancel, deliver his sermon. They didn't have a whole lot of money, but they were farmers. Did I mention that? Every Sunday, they filled their house with groceries, with fresh produce, with breads and, and meat and all kinds of things to help the family get by. What looked like scarcity actually was overflowing with abundance. About five months after the accident, I drove up to Denny's little church. I found him in there, in his wheelchair, on the chancel, practicing his sermon. I sat down next to him. I said, how's it going? He said, you know what? It's really hard. I'm in pain all the time. The insurance is fighting with me over whether or not they're going to cover my bills. We don't know what's going to happen, but I preach one sermon. I basically every week preach the hope of God the love of, of Jesus Christ, the grace of the Spirit given to the world. Change the stories, 
change the illustrations around, but that's what I've been preaching, Glenn. I've been preaching that every Sunday. Then he finished school eventually, went on to serve in a fine congregation. His sermon wasn't some sickening, syrupy, sweet little homily about Jesus. No, not at all. It was the confession. It was the confession of a man who'd taken the worst that life could give. And through the power of his friends, through the beauty of that little church and the love of God, he found that God was with him in the worst of times and the best of times. That's the essence of every sermon I've ever preached. That's the essence probably of every sermon ever preached in this sanctuary, that God is with us now and forever, has been, is now, and will be with you. So pay attention, because God is at work even now.